Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. We're back on Inside Black and Gold. Saints are three and two. They are going to Houston for a short trip. Might be the shortest trip. I don't know, Steve. Is this the shortest road trip the Saints go on? Yeah, I mean, you would think. I don't know the maybe the Tampa? Tampa ones. Tampa's pretty short, but I think this is even. This has got to be quicker. Well, it's it's weird because you you don't have to if you're driving. Tampa's way farther. No, right, right, flying, exactly. You can just go right over the water, which you do. And yeah, maybe people didn't know that you fly over the water. It's a, it's pretty short. Uh, so I don't know. It's one of those yeah, two. Either way. You have to switch time zones there. Houston, you don't at least. That's a good point. That's a good point. Houston, yeah, it's in Central. It's right. by so, far the easiest road trip of the year. It's basically just in your backyard. And so, yeah, I mean, Saints are going to go out there and they're going to try to humble CJ Stroud a little bit, which they're trying to pump him up now. I almost feel like that's, we talked about this in the open. I almost feel like that's kind of what the plan is. We're going to make everyone be like, CJ Stroud is great. And then when the defense goes out there and dominates him, everyone's going to be like, oh my God, the defense is the best thing ever because even the defense <laughs> told me how right. great CJ Stroud was. Cam's talking about eating a five-piece or six-piece with, you know, there's six sacks in the game afterwards kind of thing. And he's all like, yeah, we we took that rookie down, whatever. Um, yeah, I would love to see that, obviously. It's really unbelievable to think, though, that not only the Stroud has been so protective of the football, the dude hasn't even gotten sacked since the, la- the second game of the season. Well, I think those those things go hand in hand, right? I think you are seeing that the, uh, the 49ers offense scheme in ways that protect their young quarterback as you're supposed to, right? That's the, that's what you should do. Um, you know, the other thing that we heard from Dennis Allen multiple times is, you know, they're when they're scouting the Texans, a big part of their scouting is actually going back and looking at the Saints 49ers matchup from last year. You know, CJ Stroud didn't play in it, but D'Amico Ryans was the defensive coordinator and Bobby Slowick was the offense was the pass game coordinator for the 49ers. Now, obviously, D'Amico Ryans is the head coach. Uh, I can't recall if he's a defensive coordinator, but either way, it's a D'Amico Ryans defense. And right. Bobby Slowick is the offense coordinator for the for the 49ers. So that game, and, and if you want to look at it and say, yeah, the Saints got shut out in that game. <laughs> <laughs> so you got to figure something out there. But they did hold that pretty dynamic 49ers offense to 13 points. So clearly something fits the eye of the Saints. But that's a good segue into you know this thing that I want to dispel, which is I've had a bunch of people, and I wouldn't say a bunch, but I've had a non-zero number of people come to me and say they were disappointed that the Saints played well offensively against the Patriots because they thought that if the Saints had put up another dud, that maybe Pete Carmichael would have been fired and they could get a better offense coordinator slash play caller in there. Wow. And and I just I, I don't feel like that's really in the cards. And I have evidence for that. But uh, what, what do you think about that when you hear that? I think we've, we've seen with this team, 
the way they're run from top to bottom kind of deal, these brash decisions are, are not coming in season unless things I think were so completely dire that you needed to make some kind of instantaneous move, but it's, that just hasn't been the case with this squad. And I, and I don't think that every, anybody in house is overreacting as much as people out of house kind of thing. Right. Like if Alvin had gone up to Pete and said, run this play. And he was like, shut up, Alvin, sit down. <laughs> right. You're a player. I'm the coach. <laughs> right. That's not what's happening. But anyway, so we had Mickey Loomis on WWL. Mike Koss interviewed him and asked him about Pete Carmichael. And I think his answer is pretty telling about, you know, and like you can say he's just saying the right thing, but like he's not going to go out there and lie to you. So anyway, here, here's that answer. I get it. It's one game. But you take that one game and celebrate it. It must be gratifying to see him be able to go up and do that. Yeah, look, you know, Pizza, he's a great offensive coordinator. He really is. And he's, he's, a, he's a really good play caller. He's had a lot of success. And, and, you know, when you're not having success, that, you know, that bothers him more than anyone. And yet, man, I, I've always had confidence in him. We have confidence in Pete. Our, our players have confidence in him. And so, yes, it's good. It's good to have some success. And yet I think that there was, he would be the first one to tell you that there were some opportunities that we missed, you know, that could easily, we could have easily scored another 12 or 14 points in that game, you know, if we execute properly. And so we've got, we've got lots of things to work on, but it's good to work on things off of a win as opposed to working on things off of a loss. There's a few things there. And, and again, like I said, you know, you can point to it and say, yeah, he's going to say that. Of course, he's going to say that. But I would say, no, if you are a GM and you are on the fringe about firing a play caller or, or forcing some changes about your offense coordinator or play caller, you're not going out there and putting a soundbite out there that says, I think Pete is a great offensive coordinator and play caller because people don't like to look dumb. People don't go out there and put themselves in situations where they're going to look stupid by going back on their word two weeks down the road. And and I don't say this as to say that everything's perfect with the Saints offense or that Pete doesn't have to do things better. I'm saying this as if you are sitting there holding your breath, waiting for the Saints to fire Pete Carmichael, you're going to suffocate because it's not going to happen. You know, this is a pass fail class in my opinion, right? One of the reasons Dennis Allen's going to go out there and pump up his offensive coordinator, one of the reasons Vicky Lewis is going to go out there and pump up his offensive coordinator is because whether it's good or bad, it's his job. You know, and at the end of the season, if it doesn't get better and it's in the Saints te- offense is in the mud, then yeah, I think that's going to be a clean house situation. But, you know, Dennis Allen, I think, is aware that it's like, no, this is the it's, this is a ride or die kind of kind of situation here. You better figure out how to ride. Because <laughs> I don't think this team, like they could have gone out there and, and stunk it up against the Patriots. I don't think they were making changes. I really don't. No, and everybody wants to point to, oh, you know, uh, what's his, um, who was the play caller in the preseason? Sorry. Ronald Curry. Yeah, everyone wants to anoint him the next, you know, the, the play caller. Now it's like, how do you think that's going to resolve anything immediately, you know, kind of thing? Well, you know, and, and my issue isn't, you know, it's like, I like Ronald Curry. I think he has a good a future as an offense quarter in this league. I don't think they're going to be able to retain him much longer if they don't give him a, a promotion. That said, this idea that you're going to slot Ronald Curry in there and suddenly that's going to be better. Like, that's what the thing that people say is like, oh, well, yeah, if you get rid of Pete Carmichael, everything's going to be fixed. And it's like, I he's a, the passing game coordinator now. 
<laughs> like right. it's not like he has right. no role in this offense. It's not like he has no say in how things operate. Um, like there's just as good of a chance that he goes in there as a first time offensive coordinator slash play caller and struggles. Right. People seem to think that it's like if they get rid of one guy, it's going to be better. It could also be worse, right? There's a devil, you know, devil, you don't situation going on here. And so I I don't know. I just think it's funny that there's people out there who are actively rooting for the Saints to be bad so that they can be right rather than just supporting the team and saying like, that's toxic fanhood turned up to 11. And like, it's everyone's right to watch and appreciate a game however they want. But like, you watch sports to have a good time, right? Like that's, it's supposed to be entertainment. There's a really weird disconnect going on between like supporting a team and actively rooting for your favorite team to be bad. That's, and I don't think that that's a big segment of the fan base, but the fact that it exists at all, it's like, come on, guys. Right now, I understand fans to an extent. They're sick of what we saw with this offense last season. It's totally different this year with a new signal caller. But yeah, we're, we're still haven't seen the explosion that we've wanted. It was a great, yeah. outing in new england um but there's still the the consistency that's what we need to see happen we need to see this offense go out have another three four touchdown performance obviously then the torches will maybe be put away for p carmichael for a week you know well see here's the thing though like and that's not what i'm like i get being fed up and i get being frustrated and i think being critical is more than fair but what i find strange and the part that I can't get my my head around or get behind is this idea that like there is a segment that don't want it to get better. This team going out and having a four touchdown performance would actually disappoint them because they are more invested in being right than the team being good. And I'm just like, that's so bizarre to me. Like, why would you want the team? like, so you are so convinced that P Carmichael is not the answer that if you went out there and actually got this offense humming, you'd be like, damn it, which is crazy. Anyway, I hope that's not the case. I hope if you're sitting there and thinking that to yourself, like, yeah, that's me. Take a second and take a step back and, and ask yourself why you watch football to begin with. Why you are a Saints fan. <laughs> I want us to tank for Caleb. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I don't. I am proud of a team that does not actively put itself in a situation where you expect it to lose. Anyway. Hey, man, we got, we got Jake Hayner juicing up for next year. Come on. Juice enough. Dave Kaner, he's almost he's almost ready to come back and be yeah. inactive. <laughs> I'm sure he's excited. At least we'll get to run some scout team. Yeah, no, actually, you know, I think there is value in that, right? I think that that is an, that is an important aspect. Like we talked to, right. I think it was Alvin. I can't recall. Someone pointed out that like the scout, or Alante pointed out that the scout team is a big part of what gets them ready to face these quarterbacks, especially guys like CJ Stroud, guys you haven't played before. Someone's got to go out there and replicate it. And, you know, that I think that is an undervalued piece of an NFL team. But Speaking of undervalued pieces of NFL teams, let's get into the X factors. We'll pick one on offense, one on defense, as we have been. If you want to pick a special team or feel free, but I'm not because I don't care. Although congrats to Blake Groupie for winning special teams player of the week, which it does. Hey, this yeah. whole, this, that whole award setup felt like a felt like a twist of the knife to Sean Payton, because not only did Blake Groupie win special teams player of the week, Greg Zuerlein. <laughs> won it on the AFC side for his five field goal performance in the Jets victory over the Broncos. <laughs> Double pal. <laughs> yeah. Um, but okay. So Steve, you know, going forward, we can start on offense. You know, who would be your offensive X factor for this game? The guy who, you know, that if, if this game was even, this is the player who, if he has a big game can swing the results. Kind of how I look at it. Yeah. I'm looking at receiver. I, I think the run game is going to have a hard time 
uh, against this Houston Texans D. And to me, obviously, a little concerned about Olave dealing with the toe issue, although he was still able to catch a touchdown last week. I think that they're being cautious with him and that he'll still be able to suit up kind of deal and play Sunday. But I do think, for me, I'm going to call this the Rashid Shahid game. I think mm. the speed is going to be the main factor in this one where he ends up roasting the uh, the Texans secondary, able to, uh, able to pull away from them. And I uh, think Derek Carr has a big connection with him in this one that we've been waiting to see. Uh, like, you know, 110-yard performance, I'll say. Yeah, so I, I'm kind of go. I'm going to kind of go with Derek Carr kind of as a placeholder for the actual real reason is you can't turn the ball over in this game. I think you know yeah. the Texans are not a dynamic offense. They're not going to put up a ton of points, but they're also not going to turn the ball over. We've seen that. I mean, you might be able to be that first team that forces a turnover, but you know they're they're actively avoiding situations that you know it's like they're 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 scheming in ways that like to keep things on track. So I think the only I don't want to say the only way the Saints lose this game, but you know, if you turn the ball over and you set the Texans up in short field and you give them three points, this is a good defense that the Saints are going to have trouble getting untracked against. If you're throwing interceptions and you're putting the ball on the ground, that goes for everybody. It's not just Derek Carr. I'm just I had to pick one player for the X factor, but it's really just all around like ball security, you know, being smart, not putting the ball into into windows where it's going to get, you know, tipped up in the air and picked off. Those are the type of decisions that I think will be the X factor in this game. And because because, again, if if you end up losing the turnover battle in a game like this, I think that you're going to be in trouble, especially on the road against a team that has a ton of confidence right now. I mean, you saw how that 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 Falcons game ended. They are more than happy to win a game 13 to 12 or whatever it was until they gave up that last second field goal. So to me, that's that's my X factor is can you avoid putting the ball on the ground or throwing interceptions? And if you can, I think the Saints win. Yeah, that turnover ratio, obviously so huge. And yeah, really a hell of impressive. Uh, I'm, I think we mentioned it in one of the, the t- talks we've already had about, you know, going into last week, the Pats were minus five. Now they're minus eight. Going into this one, man, Houston a plus five. That's that's crazy to me to see a young team like that. You know, first year head coach, first year quarterback, really impressive what they're doing. Yeah, and when your quarterback is setting records for for interceptions not thrown, right? You know, I think that's yeah. Like the Saints, I don't think the Saints are going to be able to catch a ton of breaks like they caught last week. Like this team is playing a lot more, um, you know, prepared. Like they look like they're ready to play rather than ready to do whatever the Patriots did last week. But all right, so I think those were good. Let's uh, so Rashid Shahid turnovers. I think on offense, I think that's solid. Now on defense, who who are you looking at? Defense, I, I'm looking at the D-line because I need somebody to put a pressure on this quarterback that might have a, a weak offensive line uh, like our guest was, we, we had on telling us that they had so many issues uh, rotating guys in and out. But, man, uh, Granderson, I felt like, was an X-factor last week. So I'm going to look at the guy that's been there, done that. Um, he did get a fumble recovery last week. But Cam Jordan, uh, I, w- I want to see him getting after C.J. Stroud, making him uncomfortable, and hopefully picking up, as he would say, like a two or three piece, meaning two or three sacks in this one. Yeah, Cam Jordan did get a fumble recovery, but he did not force that fumble. That was very much the Patriots just putting the ball on the ground. I think it was a toss play that just might have been Ezekiel Elliott. I can't remember. Uh, And it just was dismissed. I mean, it was just terrible. Like, they just played terribly in every aspect. But, yeah, so I'm on the same page here. But I would say it's Carl Granderson. And, you know, we're kind of saying the same thing in that the defensive line needs to get after the quarterback. And when they can, this team – 
I would say can beat anybody. I don't think you're beating the Saints if you are being harassed by the defensive line the entire game and no one has this season, right? Like you saw Carl Granderson have a huge game against the Patriots and not just against the quarterback. You're talking in the run game. He is yeah. getting up field and he was making huge plays. And so I think he's not the quickest guy in the world. And so it's, I think it's a learning experience for a young player that is really, you know, he got a lot of playing time last year, but he didn't, he wasn't in a starting role for a majority of the season. I think he is still kind of finding his way when it comes to containment. I think he gets a little too amped up at times and gets upfield and forgets, oh man, so Jordan Love can run and he's going to get in behind me and you know, and then I got to chase him to the edge of the field and I'm this big 280 pound dude and I don't want to run that far and now I'm exhausted for the next snap. And, you know, and it's like you, that could have been solved by just taking a breath and being aware of what's happening around you and not getting too far upfield and kind of keeping your, keeping your angles. And so to me, that's the balance that if Carl Granderson can strike that the way Cam does, right? Like Cam has always been a run first player. If he was a, if he was a pass first player, if he was a rush first player, you probably have 30 more sacks than he does, but he plays the run first and you have to do that in a four, in a four, three scheme. And so to me, when Carl is able to do that, and be that elite presence on the right side of the line across from Cam, who is as consistent as they come, this team becomes nearly impossible to beat. So and we hear from those guys. Like, like you said, too, we hear from both Granderson, Cam, those guys along the uh, the defensive line, stop the run and have and some fun. fun. <laughs> you hear it more on the interior. Yeah, you hear it more sure. on the big old, the big boys. But I will say, you know, when, when I was watching the film, one thing that stood out to me is Tano Passigno. They've been using him very well in those NASCAR packages. And I think that's another one. And I had someone say like, well, why didn't they do this more last year? And I think because they didn't stop the run last year. You can only really get into those NASCAR packages where you move Tano inside and you get him to combo with Brzee to really fast pass rushers when you're in third and long. Because if you're going to run against that front, you're picking up four or five yards. Easy. Like It's going to work. Now, can you get eight? I don't know. Like most teams aren't going to risk that because then the fans will boo (laughs) when you only get five yards on third and eight because you ran the draw up the middle. But like if it's third and three, you can't put that setup in there. You cannot let them just pin their ears back and get upfield. And that's the advantage when you talk about teams getting in down in distance it, that it, that is preferable. You know, third and seven is worlds different from third and three, even though it's only four yards, but it is huge, a huge difference. Oh, and absolutely. when I talk about Carl Granderson playing the run, right, that's where you are successful when you can hold them to a two yard gain rather than a five yard gain. Neither is a first down, but it changes the dynamic of the entire possession, the entire series of downs when you can win early. And to win early, you need your DNs to play the run. And that's where Carl comes in. Carl. That's it. That's what I got. Like you said, we're pretty much in the same agreement. It's got to come from that D-line, putting pressure on a rookie QB that's having way too much success early on. I didn't think he'd have this amount of confidence coming into this matchup. Obviously, uh, this this was one of those when you look at the schedules like, oh, Saints should take care of business against a rookie. I still feel that way, personally, despite what the, the Saints are saying to me. I still feel like they should be able to take advantage of a rookie. Um, but no, but look, you look at the two games they lost, right? You know, Jordan Love, they bottled him up all game. But then in that fourth quarter, he was able to get out. He was able to extend plays in ways that he wasn't earlier in the game. And it cost them, right? Against the Bucs, Baker Mayfield was just extending plays all day long. You can only cover for so long. 
And so to me, that's that's going to, you know, I could probably say the same thing for the X Factor every week if I wanted to. But to me, in, in a game like this where you got a young quarterback who you, you're going to try to fool a little bit, you're going to try to, he's going to try to just sneak around, extend plays. Like it's going to, you're going to, don't want to make life easier on him by letting him do that. No, th- definitely not. And like you said, hopefully the Saints have been pumping him up all week. So he goes in even with a bigger head of confidence. But I'm, I'm pretty sure that we're, we'll see a calm, cool, collected dude. I just want to see, obviously, that, that defense collapse in that pocket, making him uncomfortable and having to get rid of that ball. Hopefully a tick sooner. Maybe a tip happens and some magic and we, and we get that first interception of the season. I think it's happening this week. I, I do. I think they're going to get the Saints going to get out ahead. They're going to force them to get a little aggressive. And I think you're going to see it. But hey, you know, I've, I'm I'm almost always wrong. So uh, take that <laughs> with a grain of salt. That's not true either. <laughs> yeah, no, I could be wrong about being wrong. Anyway, all right. This is Inside Black and Gold. It's going to wrap it up for us on this here podcast. Thanks again to Sean Pendergast for coming on, helping to break down what the Saints should expect in the Texans. That's going to be noon Central Time over at NRG Stadium. You know, we're gonna we're gonna get going here. I'm Jeff Nowak. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak. You can follow Steve on Twitter at Steve Geller, WWL, the show at Saints underscore pod. You can check out the latest news, notes, and analysis over at WWL.com and check out Sports Talk 4 to 8 p.m. every day, Monday through Friday on WWL AM 870 FM 105.3 and on the always free Odyssey app. I've been working on my diction. Can you tell? The arsonist has oddly shaped feet. The human torch was denied a bank loan. Anyway, Steve, how you doing? You ready? You ready for week six? What do you got? I'm ready for week six. And then, man, we're going to have a quick turnaround, obviously. So it's going to be bang, bang. Thankfully, it's at home. That's all yes, I say exactly. Oh. Thankfully, it's at home. But all right, y'all. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Who dat? Go Saints. Be easy, y'all. Peace.